The Law Report with Tyrone Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report program. And before we begin, just a reminder that if you need any information regarding the Law Report, you can find it on Facebook. Just go to Law on SAFM. If you'd still like to contact me directly, you can email me on law at safm.co.za. Well, I'm joined this evening by Michael Bagram, Practicing Managing Partner at Bagram's Attorneys Labour Law Specialists. Michael, good evening. Welcome back to the show. Hi, good evening, and thank you for having me here once again. I really appreciate it. It's one of those extra little shows we have with Michael because we have so many emails and we've got so much to talk about. We can't seem to get through it all when we just do our regular show. So we've got a special evening with Michael. We won't be taking any calls this evening. Instead, as we've once again been inundated with email questions, we'll start by dealing with some of those, and then we'll be focusing on retrenchment. So let's get on with some of the emails to begin with. Michael, we've had quite a few, and... um, Just let's get through some of these this evening because, as I said, we have to get through some every week. We've had an email from Moses and he says, um, I've been promised to be permanently employed at the beginning of the learnership. So today the department denied that they made such a promise at the beginning and they've told us that they don't have a position available. What do I do? Well, it's quite simple. What, What actually has to happen is you first need to determine how long he's been there, the terms and conditions of that learnership and we don't have the actual terms and conditions of the learnership in front of us. And once we've seen that, we need to see what sort of expectation was given to him. Now, from the question, what we do understand is that there is an expectation. By by asking the question, it shows there's the expectation. So in essence, I believe he has got a case to at least approach either the CCMA, but it sounds like a government department, And so you'd have to approach the bargaining council, and he's got a bargaining council there, and fill in the forms. It's very similar to the 7.11 form. Fill it in and explain why he's got that expectation and let an outside arbitrator make that decision. I presume that he has raised that internally, and one would always expect an employee to raise a grievance internally. But if he has not had any joy with regard to his grievance, then my suggestion is that you pursue it outside. And by the very nature of the question and the way it's loaded, we know that there is an expectation. He has to to prove now that it's a reasonable expectation. Okay, so there were quite a few things that he could do to try and resolve that. Right, our next question is... It says, I made a claim at Absa Bank as they keep our security provident fund, and he made the claim on the 16th of May last year. And until today, I'm still waiting. The Labor Department could not help me. What can I do in order to get it? Well, the only way you can do that is through the actual people who are running the fund itself. Uh, This is not an employer-employee related question. This is a question where you look at the rules of that provident fund, you get hold of the people who are administering it, and you ask them to explain why they haven't paid it out. There is an ombudsman in the industry who could intervene very quickly and efficiently. My suggestion is that he finds out who's administering it and gets hold of them because he's obviously trying to get this through his employer, which is not the right avenue, and that's probably why he's not getting any joy. Okay, so get hold of the ombudsman and find out who's running, who's in charge of the Provident Fund. Right, another one from Sedema says, I had a dispute and my representative from the union submitted closing arguments instead of an appeal. I was dismissed as it was taken that I did not want to appeal. The matter went to arbitration and my union sent an Afrikaans-speaking man who was always late and could hardly greet me in English while proceedings were in English and as a result my dismissal was upheld. The union delayed advising me until the time to lodge a review had lapsed. They later refused to make a condemnation on my behalf. What recourse do I have because I feel they acted unethically? Yeah, it does sound like the union has let him down very badly. And unfortunately, this seems to be the order of the day. Um, Unfortunately, many people are getting more and more despondent with their unions. They're feeling they're not getting their money's worth. They're feeling they're not getting represented. This case is a textbook case of where the union has done him a disservice of note. Um, clearly what he has to do is he's got to take action against the union. Now, we've seen many cases, both in the labor court and the civil courts, where people have sued their representatives for negligence. This, In this instance, sounds like it's gross negligence. 
The problem that you've got is to pursue a union, you're probably going to need to get legal advice and to get a hold of an attorney and possibly even an advocate in these circumstances, which is not the greatest thing. Um, if he's impecunious, if he doesn't have the money to pay for lawyers, then my suggestion is that he gets hold of legal aid or even an insurance company. And, of course, the labor courts themselves, which is very good, they need to be applauded for this. The labor courts do have a system of having pro bono attorneys. They've got a list and then they can refer you to one of them. Um, and these attorneys will point him in the right direction as to who, in fact, um, can help him with regard to suing the union itself. Because if his case was a reasonable one, and if the union have messed it up like they have now in these circumstances, clearly they need to be paying the damages. So he goes to the labor court, and if he can't afford an attorney, they could potentially... They could potentially point him that in that direction, or you can get legal aid. Okay, the next one is, is from Peter, and he just wants to know, he wants some clarity on the issue of car guards. He says the ones at shopping malls and shopping centers. He says, I find that they are not properly informed of their rights and are abused by their employers. They complain. They say that they have to pay for their uniforms. They have to pay the employers 50 rand a day. Then Peter says, the next time I speak to them, I'm told now we have to pay 80 rand a day. And if we complain, we are punished or fired. Could this form of employment be made clear to the public? What law do they fall under? They work for whom? Themselves? Or does the employer work for them as they, the car guards, pay the employer for using the uniforms and space at the parking lot? He says he's very confused. He's not a car guard. He never was. He just really wants some clarity on this whole issue. Yeah, my, and this is endemic across the country, unfortunately, and my um, disgust for this is, is absolutely clear. First of all, we do have an institute, a security um, institute, it's CIRA, and they run rules and regulations. And I think the best thing to do in these circumstances is to report this employer, because they're the employer, uh, to CIRA, to, um, to the authorities. They'll probably um, show them the, the exit and say that they must not run a company of this nature. It's criminal what they're doing. You don't have to pay to have employment. You don't have to pay to hire your uniform. All of this is absolutely wrong. Unfortunately, in this industry, you find many of these um, Bucky Brigade uh, security companies which don't, aren't properly registered, don't have proper registration with the CIRA, they don't have registration with the Department of Labor. Um, what they do is they prey on many of the foreigners that come in from Congo and uh, um, Malawi they employ these guys because they don't have work permits and they don't complain and they're prepared to work at lower at lower rates and then they exploit them really badly. So what's happened in this particular set of circumstances is that these people are being exploited. There's no other word for it. And they actually give a bad name to the industry when it's not fair to those who are trying to do it properly. So report them to Sarah. Yeah, correct. Okay. <coughs> The next email is from someone called MacGyver. Um, it came with a lot of documentation, but basically the story is it says, we are employees at the emergency services and some of us have been promoted to senior positions and salary was allocated by the department in 2002. As station officers, in 2011, I received a letter from the department stating that, that I have been overpaid, so I must pay the money back, whereas some of my subordinates are getting more than me and they have not been issued with notices for salary reductions or payback. Please advise what does the law say. Now, having looked through all the documents, what seems to have happened is that somebody was in a similar position. They all started at the same level. One of them, they were all promoted, but one of them didn't get the salary increase, that she just stayed on the same yeah. basic level and obviously discovered that she wasn't getting the same as everybody else, so laid a complaint. It was then looked into, and apparently the two people that were getting more than her shouldn't have been getting more than her. And this person is written now is one of those people who's now been told to pay back all that uh, money that she's okay. been paid for however many years, two years now. Well, in essence, what they need to do is first investigate and see if it's true that they were getting paid more for well, their salary they, level. they were, yes, by all accounts. And if that's the case and they were getting more, it's not their fault that they're getting more. They didn't know. They must have thought this was true and correct. But if the employer can, and their onus lies on the employer to prove that they were in fact paying them in error and too much in error, they can then expect them to pay back a certain amount over a period of time. Um, and it could be a longer period of time than what they got the monies in the first place. 
Um, as a rule of thumb, the Basic Conditions of Employment Act doesn't allow you to deduct more than 25% of the salary, but in essence, many people can't afford a full 25% deduction, and that is up to negotiation, and you can actually then lodge a complaint about that as well. Um, what happens in those circumstances, employers normally take anything up to 10% uh, of their salary back if there's an overpayment and they pay it back over many many months and sometimes over years. Because the, the, the listener also says, oh, what are my prospects to retain my current salary? Uh, that doesn't sound like much prospect at all. It sounds like no, unfortunately. So, uh, and especially if, it could truly, if the employer can truly show that it was a mistake. Employers do make mistakes. Um, and in fact, they do sometimes pay their employees too much. Um, it's a cruel mistake because people extend their lifestyle to fit their salary um, and they sometimes take on debt, which they're then paying off from the increased salary and it's very cruel and it upsets the entire system and especially if, for instance, it was me and I was getting an extra thousand rand a month, um, I'd rejoice that and then for suddenly find that someone wants that thousand rand back and they've paid me over the last two years. It's a disastrous set of circumstances. But unfortunately, the law allows the employer to prove that it was too much, allows the employer then to start taking it back, but it must be done by some sort of negotiation between the parties. Okay, the next email, is, it's, it goes on, it's very, very long. It's from Lydia. It talks about something called the graceful exit practice. And she was wanting to leave. She had been with the company for a number of years, and she wanted to to leave. She needed to. Well, she didn't want to. She needed to be at home full time to look after her disabled child. And there was a whole sort of confusion about whether this graceful exit practice, as an alternative to doing full resignation, actually existed. Somebody said yes, it did. Somebody said no, it didn't. And so she's very confused as to what exactly this whole story is. What is this graceful exit practice? It doesn't exist. There's no such thing as that. I suppose in people's mind, they could have a graceful exit. Um, we have all sorts of ways of, of doing things in terms of termination. Um, Simon and Garfunkel used to say there were 50 ways to leave your lover. Yes. <laughs> um, th th there are many ways in which you can leave your employer. Obviously, there's dismissal and all the various types of dismissal. There's resignation. Uh, there's um, retirement. Um, and there's also, of course, voluntary uh, ways of leaving. And that's probably what they're referring to. Many people accept a voluntary retrenchment. Uh, where they say, listen, pay me a small amount, I will then voluntarily be retrenched, which then leaves the path open to them to collect UIF, unemployment monies. Um, unfortunately, that's cheating the system. You can't cheat the system, so there is no, um, uh, whatever she discusses and whatever she calls it, there is no system of that nature. You either get dismissed, you resign, you retire, you die, um, or you terminate in some way in the law, but there is no practical way of doing it other than outside the Labor Relations Act. Because she says here that um, her line manager consulted somebody to confirm whether this was still valid, and apparently on the 22nd of June 2009, he was informed that the practice is still open, but the criterion has been changed with effect from the 1st of the 1st, 2008. So and then there's all these these things about how it's you know the criteria have changed and so she she's not terribly sure what the situation she said she I've sent a complaint about the graceful exit practice payout obviously the the problem is with the payout it's, it's voluntary retrenchment she's talking about but then the firm has to agree that they don't want to keep her there any longer if she wants to leave and I, I'm telling you, there is no such thing as that the graceful exit uh, thing doesn't does not exist. exist I don't okay. know in someone's it's a figment of someone's imagination okay. but it doesn't exist in our law it sounds like a voluntary retrenchment but then you need an employer and an employee to agree that they'll give a package most employers will say you know we want to have someone in this position you want to leave resign it's your endaba resign but don't come to us and tell us that you want some sort of disgraceful graceful <laughs> michael graceful <coughs> graceful disgraceful leaving <laughs> okay shame so that that's something no that's, it's, it's a figment of the imagination okay. our law is absolutely clear we've got a labor relations act we need to follow it 
Right, okay. Then this one, it says, I've been referred to you by a friend who is listening to the show and thinks you can help my mother resolve her case. My mother was a teacher at a primary school in Mangaung. In 2009, she had a few disputes against the school principal and her head of department at the school, which resulted with her submitting a formal complaint with the school governing body. She also resorted to seeing a psychiatrist in order to be able to handle her emotions towards them. The psychiatrist then put her on extended leave on and off during 2010 and 2011 while she was waiting for the matter to be resolved at the school. My mother has submitted all the relevant leave documents to the Department of Education and had ensured that she had not yet exceeded her allowed leave days. During April 2011, the department stopped paying her salary. When she went to inquire as to why, they informed her that her service had been terminated. She was shocked as she had received no notice of this and no letter of termination had been delivered to her prior to this. When she asked to see the letter stating this, the letter could not be found. It was stated that her copy was delivered to the school at which she was working, but she had no knowledge of this. She's presented this matter to her union, the PSA. They conducted an investigation with assistance from the Free State Department of Education and produced a report stating that she should be reinstated as she was unfairly dismissed and that the correct procedures to dismissal were not followed. This corrective action needs to be resolved by the Free State MEC of Education and this matter has been presented to him with no response for more than six months now. My mother has been without a salary for almost two years now and she's highly frustrated by this. Once again, it looks like that she's been dealt a very cruel blow by the union. They should have immediately referred it to the bargaining council that existed as soon as it was brought to their attention and the union should have then taken it off to the labor court um, it appears that none of that was done. They were trying to work internally, and that's a cruel blow because it's been two years without a salary. Mm. It means that she's probably been two years dismissed. It means that she's going to have to apply for some sort of condemnation if she wants to get to court. I doubt whether she's going to get it because she was with the union. And once again, we've got the old hoary bugbear that a union has done a disservice to its employees. Now... It seems to be a trend within the Kosato unions that when you've got someone who isn't well connected within the union and it's an individual, they just don't seem to care. Um, this is a tragic set of circumstances because clearly this case is unfair dismissal. I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter how you describe that. That's just plain and simple unfair. Um, and it, it makes my heart bleed to hear that here's a woman who's a teacher and we desperately need teachers Sounds dedicated, and she's been dropped by her union like a ton of bricks. Um, the only action she's got if she doesn't get the condemnation is against the union for damages again. Does she it need destroys. to apply herself now? To, to whom does she apply for I, the I certainly would go and get, uh, once again, I think these cases are a little bit too complicated for an individual to do it. Um, I would try and get some sort of legal advice. Um, my suggestion to her, I don't know what province she's from, but go down to Free the nearest... Says. Go down to the nearest labor court where it does sit and try and get hold of people who offer uh, pro bono work as attorneys um, because there are people in the free state that are offering that and they can then tell her what way to move. Uh, she mustn't throw this, her hands up in the sky and say, well, there's nothing I can do. There are things she's, she can do. She's been, a, she's been done a disservice by the employer who's unfairly dismissed her. She's been done a disservice by the union that didn't actually take up the cudgels and fight for her. And then she's been done a disservice by everyone surrounding her but not saying, well, the union's not helping you do something. Um, and most people feel they don't know where to turn. You feel as if you've... You've come to a dead end when, in fact, you are a union member. And as a union member, you would expect them to pick up a fight on your behalf and do it properly. That's what they're there for. They're not there for many unions worry about how they're going to supply uh, the, the managers and how they're going to fight some sort of political fight. And they worry about who's going to be the next uh, national chairman of Kosatu, but they don't worry about the lady in the street. So she mustn't give up. She must just keep fighting the good fight. And Correct. she's got right on her side by all accounts. Absolutely. So the first thing, go to the Labor Department, find out about a pro bono attorney. Or the Labor Court. Or the Labor Court. And yeah. she can ask for a, if they have pro bono attorneys available. At least get advice. So someone can go through the paperwork and help her. Even the universities in the free state, the universities will have clinics. And they've got people there who are studying law can at least take the paperwork, say this is where you've been wronged, this is how we can help you. Um, she's already got some advice now from us, 
And I'm telling you she's been unfairly dismissed, first thing. She must apply for condemnation through her lawyer. Don't try yourself. And then the next thing is if the condemnation doesn't work, sue the union. You need a lawyer for that too. Yeah. So definitely on your way to the labor, labor court or to the universities to go and get some advice. You tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is The Law Report. My guest tonight is Michael Bagram. He's an attorney in Cape Town practicing as Bagram's attorney's labor law specialist. And we're talking about labor law. And right now we're going to be focusing on that big bugbear, retrenchment. Michael, one of those unfortunate things again to talk about. Yeah, it, it is. But I think it's very important for both employers and employees to understand what retrenchment is. Our law doesn't talk about retrenchment. It doesn't use the word retrenchment. What is used in our law is dismissal, and it's a dismissal for operational requirements. That's retrenchment. So remember, dismissal for operational requirements equals retrenchment. Okay. Retrenchment is an American term, and we get it from their terminology, and everyone talks about retrenchment. Now... Before we even get into what retrenchment is and how it's done and how do you defend it and how do you get the best you can out of it, one needs to understand that there are many ways of dismissing people in our law. The one that we all know about is where you do something naughty at work. Uh, it's not acceptable what you've done. The employer catches you, brings you to a disciplinary hearing. So we, we understand that retrenchment is the dismissal for operational requirements and we understand that this retrenchment is very different to a normal dismissal and it still is a dismissal it's a dismissal for operational requirements and the big difference between the two and between any other type of dismissal is the dismissal for operational requirements in brackets retrenchment close brackets is in fact a dismissal for no fault in other words you as the employee have done nothing wrong and if you've done nothing wrong you're often asked well why me why am i being dismissed well you're being dismissed for an operational requirement in other words something that is outside your control and is often outside the control of the employer for instance if the employer runs out of money and they lose a big order then they don't need that many operators in their factory because they haven't got the order for the goods that they're going to produce, which means that they need to have less people. So if someone wants to buy a thousand pairs of jeans from a factory and they then employ 20 people to work in the factory to make the thousand pair of jeans and then the, em the employer then discovers that the order is wrong or the people who have ordered have gone bankrupt and they're not going to need the, the th thousand pairs of jeans, and they find another order somewhere else from another fact from another factory or some another uh, uh, customer who says we only need a hundred pair of jeans. So you take it down from the people that you were employing, and you say, right now we have to ask some of you to leave because we don't have the order. Now that's not the employer's fault. It's not the employee's fault, and it's certainly not a fault exercise in any manner of speaking. How do we do it then? And the law controls that very carefully because they can't, as an employer, they can't then turn to the employees and say, we've got 100 of you, we only need 10. And if we only need 10, we're going to choose which 90 are going to go and we're going to tell you when you're going to go and we're not going to pay you anything. That's how it used to be. We've now got a Labor Relations Act and the Labor Relations Act has a clause dealing with us and that clause will tell you exactly how it must be structured and how do you go about the dismissal for the operational requirements. And it's section 189 of the Labor Relations Act. And the section specifically talks about a meaningful joint problem-solving exercise. And that's how you consult, as a meaningful joint problem-solving exercise. The law talks about consultation. That's the word we need to re remember, consultation. It doesn't talk about negotiation. Now, there's a big difference between consultation on the one hand and negotiation on the other hand. And what is the difference? When you negotiate with someone, it means that you both got power and you then talk. In other words, 
I have a chocolate bar that I'm going to sell to you, Corin, and you say, I want to buy that chocolate bar, but I'm only willing to pay you two rand for that chocolate bar, and I then, Michael, say, no, I want five rand for the chocolate bar, and then we start negotiating. And what's going to happen, Solomonic wisdom tells us, that we're going to cut the difference between five rand and two rand. Eventually, you'll give me some money and I'll hand over the chocolate bar. I might even take a bite of it first. Because <laughs> I don't I'm think I'll upset. want it then, Michael. No, probably not. But that's how we negotiate. Consultation is where I have a chocolate bar and I'm offering you to give you a piece of this chocolate bar. I'm going to cut off a block for you. Um, you don't have any power because you're not going to buy it from me. I'm offering you a piece of this. And so what do you say? You say, well, please, Michael, I am very thin and you are very fat. And so let me eat some of your chocolate and you won't get fatter. Uh, and that's how you consult with me. I then take into account the fact that you never had breakfast this morning. And I'm going to then give you more than one block of the chocolate bar. Um, and that's how we then get into the consultation. Now, the law didn't leave it entirely up to the individuals to consult. The law put certain constraints on how that consultation must work. And one of the constraints they put on is they said there's a minimum amount of chocolate that you have to hand over as part of the consultation in the retrenchment. And the minimum amount is one week's pay per completed year of service. So if you get say 100 rand a month is your salary, then you would divide that by 4.3 to work out what your week's pay is, and you've been there for 10 years, then you multiply that by 10, and that's what has to be paid as a minimum. I can consult, and I can say, listen, give me a little bit more. I've been a very functional employee for you. I have been very loyal. I've earned you good money in the good years. I have a family to look after. Um, it's going to be very difficult for me to find a job now or I happen to um, have some sort of disability or whatever it might be. And then you consult and you negotiate only so far as the minimum, but you then start consulting and you explain why you think it's better. As an employer, although I'm not obliged to give more than the minimum, I also want to be able to put an end to any dispute that might exist beyond here. And so what I do is, and I normally consider paying you a little bit more than the minimum, and then I would put on the table an agreement, which is an agreement in full and final settlement. And th that agreement is often an agreement that saves an employer at the end of the day. Because an employer might have messed up slightly with the process. They might have messed up slightly with choosing the individual or giving them the, the correct requisite notice or whatever it is. So often it's in the employer's interest to pay more than the minimum and to consult in the sense that the employee then says, okay, I agree. You have to give me one week's pay per complete year of service, but now what you're doing is you're giving me an extra month or you're paying me two weeks per year of service or only 10 days per year of service. And those consultations sometimes produce agreements which then we reduce to writing. Now, what I'd like to do is, and, and I know that I always create work for you on, oh, on this mind. level, <laughs> is I'd like to offer our listeners a, a template for the notice to appear at the consultation process. There's a letter that's written in terms of section 1893. It's in brackets three. That's a specific letter that in terms of the law that you have to give the employees inviting them to come and join you in the consultations before they get retrenched or dismissed for operation requirements. Now, that letter is very important because when a judge has a look at this and determining whether, in fact, the employee was consulted properly or not, will often ask for the first letter. Let me see that first letter. And that letter then determines the rest of the process. So in the letter, I'll say that we want to consult with you about the following as ABC. It's a whole shopping list. And that's a very important letter for us to give to people if they are employers and also employees because employees will then look at the letter that they get, test it against the template, and see whether the employers acted fairly. Where, so where into this whole story comes this LIFO? Because that's the last in, first out. So that would be part of the you can't just part choose who you feel like <clears throat> retrenching. You can't. You see... 
what what actually happens is part of this consultation process, let's say you've got five employees and you only need three. Two have to go. You can't just say, listen, I'm going to have the best three. Or I, as an employer, are going to choose because I like these three better than the others. They smile better. What you need to do is you need to find, either by agreement or by some objective method, who has to go first. And if you don't find an objective method, you then have to go back to last in, first out, because you can't think of anything fairer. Often employers are upset with this because they feel the new rooms are sweeping clean. So LIFO, which is last in, first out, is often the process whereby an employer falls back on this process because they can't come to an agreement with others. Often, when you get all the employees together and say, listen, there are five of us, I only need three, I can prove why I only need three, um, at that point, the employees might say, listen, I volunteer to go, then you take a voluntary retention package, or two of them will say, well, those other three, they have to be here because they've got big families and we're single men, or whatever it might be. Um, but LIFO is something that is used failing any agreement that is reached. Does BEE or employment equity, any of that come into this whole thing? It does in certain circumstances because you can say that we have to meet our, um, our quotas, but then the employees have to agree. You can't say, listen, I'm getting rid of you in the sense of retrenchment because you're white. You're not allowed to do that. Um, although many firms are doing it, which is horrific. Many people are saying we're going to get rid of the white people first. Not acceptable. So in essence, it is a factor that is taken into account, but then the employees must agree with it. The employees in general mm -hmm. or that just that one that particularly group, affected that, employee? No, that, that group. Okay, that are up for, of employees, for, for dismissal for operational reasons. But saying retrenchment is just so much easier, Michael. It's just a lot I shorter. Know, <laughs> but our law doesn't talk about it. Okay. I know the public speaks about retrenchment. Mm. Right. So, okay. So we, we've now decided on who's going to go, and you, we've now got the, the package. Okay. You told so us how much we, they have we to will pay. then discuss. There are lots of things that you have to discuss. First of all, um, if there's any other alternatives in the factory or the workplace, and then you look at all the other positions. Um, there's an interesting concept known as bumping, which many of us don't look at carefully. But bumping is a wonderful concept, and our courts have accepted. And what it means is, if you've been there for 10 years and your position has become redundant and you're the person that's targeted for the dismissal for operational requirement to be retrenched, you might say, I can do Joe Soap's job. He's only been here for five years. I'm prepared to take... A little bit less salary, but I'll have his job. I need a job. But that's not right. And that's, it doesn't sound right, but that can be done. I've just done it this afternoon um, with two people where I've said, listen, we know that you've targeted me. I can tell you right now that only two months ago I got a promotion. I'm prepared to go back to where I was, and I'm prepared to do that job at the lower salary. So all of a sudden now, you're upsetting the apple cart for the next man who's only got two years service, I've got 11 years service. And that's in the scenario we had today. Of course, the employer got upset because the employer was thinking, oh, this is great, I need to get rid of this fellow. Um, I'll make that position redundant, but it backfired on him. Now, does the, the guy that got upset in the whole apple cart story, now the one who's been there for two years, does he have any comeback on this? Well, he, they have to start consulting with him. And they've got to say, listen, your position has become redundant because someone who's got longer service than you can do your job. His job's become redundant. So therefore, he's going to bump you out. <clears throat> and my strong feeling is that that is acceptable in law. Many of the judges have accepted it. And it's a way of doing the consultation rather carefully. I don't like that. But that's just me. Okay, so okay. That, that's bumping. So that, that's one of the ways of, of discussing it. You then need to say, when are, we, when are you going to go? When we need to discuss the timing. Now, we know that in most letters of appointment, the notice period is normally for one month. 
uh, can be 30 days or one calendar month. It depends on the contract of employment. Some of the contracts of employment have three months or six months or whatever. That has to be adhered to. But that's part of the consultation process. I might say to you, listen, Corin, you I know you're going to be retrenching me, but I'm pregnant. And because of that, I need to remain on this company's medical aid, and I've got four months to go. And so, therefore, I'm going to consult with you for you to keep me on the books for that four months as part of my retrenchment package because I need to remain on that medical aid. Having the baby in three months, and then I need to stay on the medical aid a month thereafter. Most employers will then have to go back to their drawing board and say, it's not a bad request. It's not an unfair request to say that because um, who's going to take on to a medical aid? She's not going to find a job so quickly being pregnant. We've got a bit of a problem. That's the one thing. The other things like um, also sickness in terms of my wife is just about to have an operation. She's on the medical aid as part of the package that I have at work. Um, we've booked the operation for the 20th of October and I need to remain from today until the 20th of October uh, or at least two days after that. And once again, that, that's also a reasonable and fair request. But can you imagine just employing someone and then saying, I'm going to retrench you. It's, I'm going to retrench you. It's now the 15th of November. Give you the month notice, the 15th of December. Do you think they're going to find a job until about February or March next year? And once again, it's a part of the consultation process as to when they're going to go. And you have to show the court that although you're not forced to give more notice than what is given in the contract itself or the letter of appointment, you have to show that it's a joint problem-solving exercise. You have to show that you've entered into it with an open mind as an employer and that you've consulted properly with it and you've listened to what the employee has had to say. So the timing um, of when that person's going to go becomes absolutely vital uh, for those people. We need people to understand that if you're going to be treated unfairly and grossly so, like, you know, your last day of work will be Christmas Day. Um, one can understand the courts then saying this doesn't sound fair. Now you refer to the court. Is this the CCMA? The Labour Court. The Labor no, no. Court. Normally retrenchment, um, that's another exercise that we need to uh, clear up very carefully. Um, with retrenchment or dismissal for operational requirement, if it's one person, then they can refer it to the CCMA and then to arbitration. If it's more than one person, then it invariably has to go to the CCMA first for conciliation and then to the Labour Court. If there's a problem, if, 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 the, if, uh, if, if the employees haven't decided that actually what you've offered me is just fine. Yeah, no, if it's just fine, then that's no fine. Then, then obviously no problem. I'm talking about people only come to lawyers when there's a hassle and people only want to get advice when there's a hassle. And I'm talking about people who don't accept that the retrenchment process was fair and reasonable in all the circumstances. And in those circumstances, one, if it's more than one person, would then go to the Labour Court. Although um, the changes in the Labour law, which we are hoping will come in by the end of this year, 2013, uh, will probably uh, fiddle with that a little bit, and you'll probably find that people can still refer, um, even if it's more than one, to an arbitration at the CCMA. The parties can agree, even if it is more than one, to have to subject themselves to the jurisdiction of the CCMA, that's the Commission for Conciliation, Mediation and Arbitration, and there they can then have the fight over there if they think it's unfair. There are other factors that um, have to be taken into account for retrenchment. One of them is a help that the employer will assist you in trying to find another job. Um, will they help you with your CV to uh, put it together for you? Will they give you a positive written reference? I've just had an employer today um, saying to my client, who was the employee, no, I'm not going to give you a positive written reference. Now, that's incredibly unfair for a whole lot of reasons. One, because retrenchment is a no-fault exercise, as what we started off with. And two, because um, a person needs help from beyond the grave. I mean, if you found in this economy today where anything up to 40% of our people are unemployed, uh, we must understand that you need to get that positive written reference and to have someone follow up orally when the new employer phones and says, listen, I know you dismissed Michael Bagram for operational requirements. He got retrenched. Tell me a little bit about him. 
Now, the employer should in those circumstances say he did his job properly, it wasn't his fault, um, it was an outside issue that led to the dismissal itself, and yes, we would recommend him. That should be the answer because they haven't dismissed me. They were employing me very happily until the day when my job became redundant. Right, okay, so we, we've, just, we've now discussed who can be retrenched, how they're retrenched, the kind of retrenchment package. I'm calling it that because it's much yeah. shorter to say mm. it. A retrenchment package. What else do we need to know about this? What we also need to know is that if the job becomes available again, within six months, most companies say within 12 months, and that job is available, they need to be able to find those employees that they have retrenched in the past to assess whether they actually want to come back. They might have found another job, but say, hold on, I'm not happy at the new job, or I'm only earning a quarter, or whatever that might be, or I love my job with you. They should be given first bite at the cherry, actually. In that case, would they have to be put back on the same sort of um, contract, the same Correct. salary package would have to be exactly like it was when they left? Well, at least get an offer. In other words, hmm. if the position becomes available again, it might be slightly different. It might be slightly different package, might be smaller, might be higher, but at least give them the opportunity to say no. It doesn't help for a company to say, listen, we can't find this person, so let's not even look for them. We're going to offer it outside. Um, you must make an effort as a company owner or a manager to actually go out there and say, listen, we know that we retrenched you. We understand it was four months ago, but this position has now become available again. We've downscaled it a little bit. It's about two-thirds of the salary, but are you interested? Is this something that you have to do as part of the retrenchment Absolutely. package? Oh, Absolutely. So this is a given. You have to put that into the old retrenchment? You put it into the retrenchment letter. In other okay. words, to say that if the position becomes available at some stage, normally it's between six and 12 months, you would then offer it to that person and say, here we are. This is something that is in our agreement as, as part of our consultation has now become available. We now want you to take this. So in essence, the people are actually looked after beyond the job. And we think that's fair in the law um, because often people very naughtily, um, very um, underhandedly, as employers say, look, let's retrench everyone and then we'll wait a couple of months and we'll go out and get a new staff at half the price. And we don't want these people, we want to weed them out. And the laws noticed that and now introduced this as a, as a section. So if you are about to be dismissed for operational purposes, operational requirements, is it the correct term? Make mm. sure that in that letter you get, it states that... Absolutely. That it, has, Absolutely. it has to now by law state that. And that's what I want to do in the template. We've got a special template which outlines all the rights and duties um, in terms of Section 189.3, and it must be given in writing. Um, just to sum up in terms of uh, retrenchment, uh, dismissal for operation requirements, there are special requirements in the law that an employer has to follow. Invariably, employers don't follow these requirements and hope to get away with it. Um, if you are an employee and you're facing an exercise of retrenchment, please watch carefully and see that they are doing this because if they don't, you can challenge them thereafter and take it to the court and maybe get yourself reinstated. Now, this template that we're offering the listeners, it essentially is the template for the letter that the employer should be sending to the employee. Correct. But if you're an employee, this is not a bad thing to have a copy of this so that if you ever, no, you heaven know. forbid, are issued with one of these letters, You're you can tested. at least see this is what it's supposed to say. And hopefully, if you are being retrenched correctly, um, all those points will be on the letter that you receive. But as Michael says, unfortunately, there are some times when these things aren't you know, done correctly, and you'll notice if something's missing. Correct. What we can do as well is, if people are interested, and I'll give a lot more work to Corin, <laughs> is we can give Section 189. We can download that onto your computer, okay. and you can email that to people. It's very easy to understand. Section 189 of the Labor Relations Act. And that this is 189.3. 189.3 is part of Section 189. Oh, okay. Um, I, what I've done with 189.3 is I've designed a letter oh, right. okay. to fill That's in part with it. Of it part of it but section 189 reads very easily and smoothly and one night when you uh, lying down uh, read it it makes good bedside reading it's it's written easily and and very uh, very it flows nicely and people can then understand what their rights are 
and watch what the employer is doing and seeing if they're adhering to Section 189. It, it's, it's, a, it's a great plot. Now, this Section 189 dealing with this, how, is that going to change at all when these new labor laws come in towards the there end of the year? There will be slight changes, but it won't, it won't change the, 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 the actual process itself. Uh, what it might do is give a little bit more rights to the employees. Um, it might, um, as I said, say that if there's more than one employee, they could go to the CCMA as opposed to the Labor Court. But other than that, the essence of Section 189 and retrenchments, dismissal for operational requirements, will remain the same. The trade unions are quite happy with this. And it was a hard-fought um, battle to get 189 into our law. So this is something everybody really does need. Anyone who's working really needs to know what's going on with Section Correct. 189. It's not Correct. one of those things that's for somebody else. We all work. We all need we to know We all this. work, and maybe our jobs become redundant. And in terms of that redundancy, we need to understand what our rights are, what our duties are, and we need to be able to watch the employer to see that the employer is doing it. On the si other side of the coin, an employer is obliged to follow the steps as outlined in the labor law. If they don't follow the steps, it might bastardize the entire process and you could land up having the person back at work and then starting the process all over again, which can cost you many, many months of salary, never mind just the severance package um, that the employee is getting. What I haven't um, said, and I think we, if we've got some time, I would like to tell you about this, is that the severance package which is the pay of one week's pay per completed year of service or more as consulted uh, that the employee might get, there is the government has put together a special tax dispensation for this package and a payout, which is a once-in-a-lifetime um, dispensation um, allowed to the employees can be done on a tax-free basis. They would apply for a tax directive that tax directive would go off to the receiver revenue. The receiver revenue will obviously first assess that your taxes are in order, that the employer has actually been deducting your tax and paying it over. And they'll also see whether you've actually accessed any of this um, benefit in the past. But the benefit goes up to 315,000 rand that you would get tax-free. In total. In total. So, in other words, if the employer says, yes, I'm going to give you four-month salary, and you're getting 10,000 Rand per month, which is 40,000 Rand, you would play for your tax directive, you would apply for it, and the receiver revenue, if your tax affairs are in order, will say then you can have that as a gross payment. The employer can still use it as a deduction, but then you get it into your hands as 40,000 Rand instead of any deductions offered. So it's actually a very beneficial, very useful uh, um, benefit that was put into the hands of employees that was negotiated by the trade union movement. And just one little note about that though, you do have to declare that on your tax return as a non-taxable income. Yeah. Don't, don't then, think now just not to add it in, just whatever no, you, no, do, you do add it onto your you tax do return. You add it onto your tax but then you've got a tax directive. Yes, that, that goes, that you can and add attached with that. to yes. your tax returns. Mm. And the employer knows because everyone is claiming it. So then, Where would um, the employer get hold of the tax director? From SARS or from, from the employer? From the employer normally have to download. They have to sign for it. The employer has to apply for it. Often the employees then go in themselves to SARS and they get it. Then you can walk it through. SARS are actually very efficient. And they getting those tax directives within two days. Oh, that's actually pretty good. So, so it's, it's, it is a big benefit for a lot of employees when, a, when you least want someone to start taxing your package, then's the time to go in to the receiver and actually have access to it. So it, it is something that you need to bear in mind when you're negotiating or consulting about your package. Okay, so the nice thing that we have discovered this evening, though, Michael, is that if, if you're being retrenched, that's not it. You don't have to just sit there and take whatever's given to you. There is this opportunity to consult Absolutely. where you can lay your case on the table and discuss how it's going to work. It's still very valuable to actually try and phone an attorney or a labor sure. consultant and get some advice because there's so many nuances, there's so many little paths that one could travel. I've been doing this for almost 30 years now, and I, I'm often finding a little way in which I could um, grab some benefit, extra benefit for the employee. So there are ways and means of doing it. Often one then puts pressure on the employer, and that pressure would then be translated into extra money.
Okay, so that, that's there's a consultation. We're going to be giving them the template uh, copy of the actual Section 189. So we're going to seriously arm them so they've got all the Correct. information that they need. But as you say, in most cases or in certain cases, it might be preferable to get legal advice. Correct. And also we're asking people to email you um, to your email address, which you'll give them, and to maybe engage us in future programs as to what they've been faced with as part of their consultation process. Uh, you'll find most employers like to expedite this and do it in a few days. Um, you can't be forced into it. You need time to make sure that it is a joint problem-solving consultation process. Oh, these these questions do come up with us all the time. All People the time. Have, and all the ones that we seem to get, Michael, there's been some sort of a problem. It hasn't been as properly done as what you've described how it should be done. There always Very seems to seldom. be something going on on the side here that somebody's trying to get away with something. Yeah, I've been I've been in court um, in fact a few months back and you see the judges with their tick list. <laughs> they actually tick off. Yes, that person did discuss the severance pay. Yes, they did discuss why the job has become redundant. Yes, they did take into account the employee's personal circumstances. Yes, they did say they would give them a positive written reference. And you see the judges actually ticking it off because if you miss a tick, you're going to fail your test. It's not a, where you're going to get 50% out of, out of 10, 5 out of 10, and say you're, the retention is fair. A judge wants to see that you've done everything as an employer. So for employers, it's even more vital that they follow the process absolutely carefully. Because they will come badly unstuck. Correct. Right, so... Michael, you, we've given them lots of information. We're going to be giving them lots of things they can write in for. Thank you very much. And um, once again, thank you so much for joining us on the show this evening. Thank you very much and happy hunting. Yes. My thanks once again this evening to Michael Bagram. He's the practicing managing partner at Bagram's Attorneys, Labor Law Specialists here in Cape Town. And he's been my guest on tonight's edition of the Law Report program. Michael will be back with us again on Monday, the 1st of July. The Law Report is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening between 9 and 10. And if you'd like to contact me or if you'd like a copy of the retrenchment template or of that section 189 we were talking about, you can do so via email on law at safm.co.za or you can post your request on Facebook, but please make sure you include your email address so I can send it on to you. If you take a look at Law on SAFM, you'll see that there are a number of documents there available to you. There's the notice to attend the disciplinary hearing, there's the code of good practice for dismissal, a document on collaborative law, and a presentation on agents, landlords, and tenants, and now the retrenchment template and section 189. In next week's program, being the last Monday of the month, we'll once again be joined by attorney Marlon Chevalu when we'll be talking about property law. That's the Law Report next Monday, the 24th of June. And I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening, just after nine, with Health Matters, so join me then. Well, Stephen Kirk is up next with some nighttime music.